Hey, 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 this is John Scott, <laughs> podcast number three. I can't believe it. I'm sitting here doing a podcast, and now I feel like I'm back on the radio, which I love. Love that feeling. Anyway, I heard the listening parties around the world, around the country were great. Some people I heard uh, their CDs were lost in the mail or something, but for the one I went to where uh, Keith Evelyn, my daughter Tiffany, and Brian and uh, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> excuse me, Alan Aurora and um, many, many more people went to Woodland Hills, California for that listening party, and they had a raffle drawing, and they called my number, <clears throat> and of all people, I won the book, but I will donate that book back to somebody, but uh, not the book. I'm sorry, the American Treasure CD. I will donate that back. Talking about my book. Tom Petty and me, coming soon, promise you. Anyway, another I'm going to do a 10-minute podcast this time and, and answer some questions I got from people who emailed me this morning, actually. Um, one is from Stacy in Oklahoma. Stacy said, I've often wondered if Tom went to concerts, and if so, who did he like the best? And I, I think my answer would be that um, I don't think Tom went to a lot of concerts. Uh, only if he had, uh, you know, the perfect venue for being able to be on stage or whatever and not being seen or whatever. But, yeah, he had a lot of favorites. Um, Roger McGuinn, of course, who he loved, and he took Roger's sound and made it his own sound. That's what Tom Petty did. And uh, he he loved British bands. I remember <clears throat> we listened to a lot of different bands, sometimes with Jack Schneider over in his house. And we loved Brit uh, British music. We loved Jeff Lynne, ELO. We loved that production sound. And, uh, yeah, he loved to listen to Williams. He even loved the Del Fuegos. And one day I listened to a record with two friends of mine, Jack Schneider and Chuck Randall, both DJs here in Los Angeles. And we heard this song called 8675309 by Tommy Two-Tone. And we played it about 10 times in a row. And we went, we love this song. And so KMET and K, uh, KROQ started playing the record the next day. And it becomes a hit record. And someone called me last week and said, have you ever Googled you, your name, John Scott with Tommy Two-Tone? And I said, not lately. But I did. I put J-O-N John, Scott, S-C-O-T-T, and Tommy Two-Tone. And damn if it doesn't come up where it says, I'm in a book called If Luck Would Have It. Anyway, check, check it out yourself. Um, that's a great question. Uh, yeah, he loved he loved so many bands. Uh, like I said, that I don't, don't forget the uh, the records from the '40s and '50s, the great rhythm and blues artists that Tom loved. I mean, Otis Redding, so many people he loved. Um, let me see another question. This is this is a tough one. I'm gonna make it quick if I can. I'm three minutes into it. If the band and Tom were so great, which they were. Why didn't they just move to another label? <laughs> I'm assuming this is 1977. Well, that's a good question, but things really weren't that simple. 
They were signed to Shelter Records, who was distributed uh, by ABC Records. So actually they worked for Denny Cordell and Shelter, as I understand it. And um, um, there was a system that the record company wanted to follow. The A&R guy, the guy who signed the band, went and found him, signs the artist, hello, ding, uh, signs the artist and, with the hope of getting a hit on an artist that is commercially successful. That's what an A&R guy is. And so there was much discussion among the executives, like promo guys, the sales guys, the A&R guys, everybody would be in a meeting and talk about the new music. Um, anyway, um, back then the promotion guys got involved, but it was actually not promotion guys, it was promotion men and women mostly men, I think, but a lot of great women uh, became promo people, and they were some of the best, best there are, still are. Um, our job was to get the record played on as many radio stations around the country as possible and as often as possible. And at the time, that's the way people got to know your, their, their music and who they liked. And it was the way that artists got popular and got successful. One guy I worked with uh, in the in my early career is a guy by the name of John Mellencamp. And at the time I was working with him, he was known as Johnny Cougar. Now that's a story in itself. But anyway, John Mellencamp was so kind to do the forward for this book. And I think next week I'll, po uh, I'll post the uh, Johnny John Mellencamp forward um, on Tom Petty Nation. And uh, it's a funny for John. I love John Mellencamp. But anyway, uh, back to the question: <laughs> Where were we? Um, Tom and the band they this could they couldn't just leave a label. They were signed and they were stuck. And as I was told or read something that their deal with Shelter was not that great. But um, so I don't know. I don't really know much about that. I just know that I went to work for ABC Records around the time that that um, Tom was signed to Shelter Records. And uh, that was 1977, long story. But anyway, um, so when the, label, when the record label started uh, seeing their, uh, a band's promise, they stopped working the record. They weren't trying to get the record played. That's as simple as it was. Uh, many stations reduced their play of the record if it stopped playing altogether. And uh, so people were not hearing Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers like, like they weren't hearing the Ramones or the Sex Pistols. Uh, FM radio back then was like very Linda Ronstadt, and, uh, James Stewart, I mean, uh, James Taylor, and uh, so many great bands, the Eagles, but uh, not quite yet on FM stations on perceived to be punk bands. That's another story for Tom, which I'll get into later. But anyway, so um, it's a crazy story about how uh, a band is about to be dropped from their record label. And uh, I think you're going to like the story. Um, see, I'm approaching seven minutes. I was going to quickly read a couple of chapters. There's the Ford by John Mellencamp. <clears throat> As I said before, excuse me, it's water. It's uh, dry in Southern California. But anyway, chapter number one, number one is called From the Inner Circle to Nowhere, and that would be me. I was in the inner circle. All of a sudden, I was nowhere. 
And just to let you know, I don't start the book where it goes, well, I was born in 19, blah, 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 street, up the street with somebody. And I, I, I can't go back that far. So that's, that's to me, that's sometimes just boring, but that's just me. Anyway, second chapter is called Back in the Game. And I love this chapter because it's really serendipity all the way. Uh, third chapter called Monday, Let the Games Begin. I had a new job, and uh, I'll tell you about that. Next one's called, I Think I'm Having a Breakdown. Whew, I was. I was having a breakdown. Um, the chapter number five is called Lost in the Shuffle. Number six, chapter six is called Inside the Whiskey uh, Go-Go. Number seven, I love this number seven chapter, Charlie Kendall up to the bat. And uh, that's that's one of my favorites. And chapter number eight, A Tale of Two Meetings. And number nine, it's called Sky Pilot. Sky is a guy, well, let's just say he's a guy that a lot of people know. Chapter number 10. Oh, this is the good one. I'm not, I, can't, I can't even tell you this one. You got to read this one. Number 11, it's called Live from Capitol Records. And four of those uh, tracks, by the way, on the box set came from this recording at Capitol Records. And I have a great story about that night. And um, anyway, I'm going to stop at chapter 11 right now. And next time I'm going to come back and finish the chapters. And I'm going to answer more, more questions. I like that answer more questions thing. And then also I'm going to um, I'll tell you, well, here's what we got to do. We got to get through uh, October 3rd. And we're going to do the best we can. I'm going to try to be as, as many positive podcasts as I can about Tom because the date coming up October 3rd is going to be tough. But anyway, I think all of us can get through it. Anyway, stay well, everybody. Love you guys. John Scott here. Tom Petty and me is the name of my book. I'll see you later. You're a gone gator. Hey, 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 this is John Scott. <laughs> Podcast number three, I can't believe it. I'm sitting here doing a podcast, and now I feel like I'm back on the radio, which I love. Love that feeling. Anyway, I heard the listening parties around the world, around the country, were great. Some people I heard uh, their CDs were lost in the mail or something, but for the one I went to where uh, Keith Evelyn, my daughter Tiffany, and Brian, and uh, <clears throat> excuse me, out. <clears throat> excuse me, Alan Aurora and um, many, many more people went to Woodland Hills, California for that listening party. And they had a raffle drawing and they called my number. <clears throat> and of all people, I won the book, but I will donate that book back to somebody. But uh, not the book, I'm sorry, the American Treasure CD. I will donate that back. Talking about my book, Tom Petty and Me, coming soon, promise you. Anyway, another I'm going to do a 10-minute podcast this time and, and answer some questions I got from people who emailed me this morning, actually. Um, one is from Stacy in Oklahoma. Stacy said, I've often wondered if Tom went to concerts, and if so, who did he like the best? And my, I think my answer would be that um, I don't think Tom went to a lot of concerts. Uh, only if he had, uh, you know, the perfect 
venue for being able to be on stage or whatever and not being seen or whatever. But yeah, he had a lot of favorites. Um, Roger McGuinn, of course, who he loved and he took Roger's sound and made it his own sound. That's what Tom Petty did. And uh, he, he loved British bands. I remember <clears throat> we listened to a lot of different bands sometimes with Jack Schneider over at his house. And we love British music. We love Jeff Lynn, ELO. We love that production sound. And, uh, yeah, he loved Lucinda Williams. He even loved the Del Fuegos. And one day I listened to a record with two friends of mine, Jack Schneider and Chuck Randall, both DJs here in Los Angeles, and we heard this song called 8675309 by Tommy Two-Tone. And we played it about 10 times in a row. And we went, we love this song. And so KMET and K, uh, KROQ started playing the record the next day. And it becomes a hit record. And someone called me last week and said, have you ever Googled you your name, John Scott with Tommy Two-Tone? And I said, not lately, but I did. I put J-O-N John, Scott, S-C-O-T-T, and Tommy Two-Tone. And damn if it doesn't come up where it says, I'm in a book called If Luck Would Have It. Anyway, check, check it out yourself. Um, that's a great question. Uh, yeah, he loved, he loved so many bands. Uh, like I said, not... I don't, don't forget the uh, the records from the 40s and 50s, the great rhythm and blues artists that Tom loved. I mean, Otis Redding, so many people he loved. Um, let me see, another question. This is, this is a tough one. I'm going to make it quick if I can. I'm three minutes into it. If the band and Tom were so great, which they were, why didn't they just move to another label? <laughs> I'm assuming this is 1977. Well, that's a good question, but things really weren't that simple. They were signed to Shelter Records, who was distributed uh, by ABC Records. So actually they worked for Denny Cordell and Shelter, as I understand it. And um, um, there was a system that the record company wanted to follow. The A&R guy, the guy who signed the band, went and found him, signs the artist, hello, Ding. Uh, signs the artist and with the hope of getting a hit on an artist that is commercially successful. That's what an A&R guy is. And so there was much discussion among the executives, like promo guys, the sales guys, the A&R guys. Everybody would be in a meeting and talk about the new music. Um, anyway, um, back then, the promotion guys got involved, but it was actually not promotion guys, it was promotion men and women, mostly men, I think, but a lot of great women uh, became promo people, and they were some of the best, best there are, still are. Um, our job was to get the record played on as many radio stations around the country as possible, and as often as possible, and at the time, that's the way people got to know your, their, their music and who they liked. And it was the way that artists got popular and got successful. One guy I worked with uh, in, the, in my early career is a guy by the name of John Mellencamp. And at the time I was working with him, he was known as Johnny Cougar. 
Now, that's a story in itself. But anyway, John Mellencamp was so kind to do the forward for this book. And I think next week I'll post, uh, I'll post the uh, Johnny, John Mellencamp forward um, on Tom Petty Nation. And uh, it's a funny forward. John, I love John Mellencamp. But anyway, uh, back to the question. <laughs> Where were we? Um, Tom and the band, they, this could, they couldn't just leave a label. They were signed and they were stuck. And as I was told or read something that their deal with Shelter was not that great. But um, so I don't know. I don't really know much about that. I just know that I went to work for ABC Records around the time that, that um, Tom was signed to Shelter Records. And uh, that was 1977. Long story, but anyway, um, so when the label, when the record label started uh, seeing their uh, a band's promise, they stopped working the record. They weren't trying to get the record played. That's as simple as it was. Uh, many stations reduced their play of the record if it stopped playing altogether, and uh, so people were not hearing Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers like like they weren't hearing the Ramones or the Sex Pistols. Uh, FM radio back then was like very Linda Ronstadt, and, uh, James Stewart, I mean, uh, James Taylor, and uh, so many great bands, the Eagles, but uh, not quite yet on FM stations on perceived to be punk bands. That's another story for Tom, which I'll get into later. But anyway, so um, it's a crazy story about how uh, a band is about to be dropped from their record label. And uh, I think you're going to like the story. Uh, see, I'm approaching seven minutes. I was going to quickly read a couple of chapters. There's the Ford by John Mellencamp. <clears throat> As I said before, excuse me, it's water. It's uh, dry in Southern California. But anyway, chapter number one, number one is called From the Inner Circle to Nowhere. And that would be me. I was in the inner circle. All of a sudden, I was nowhere. And just to let you know, I don't start the book where it goes, well, I was born in 19 blah, blah, blah. I lived at blah, blah, blah street, up the street with somebody. And I, I, I can't go back that far. So that's, that's, to me, that's sometimes just boring. But that's just me. Anyway, second chapter is called Back in the Game. And I love this chapter because it's really serendipity all the way. Uh, third chapter called Monday, Let the Games Begin. I had a new job, and uh, I'll tell you about that. Next one's called, I Think I'm Having a Breakdown. Whew, I was. I was having a breakdown. Um, chapter number five is called Lost in the Shuffle. Number six, chapter six is called Inside the Whiskey uh, Go-Go. Number seven, I love this number seven chapter, Charlie Kendall up to the bat. And uh, that's that's one of my favorites. And chapter number eight, A Tale of Two Meetings. And number nine, it's called Sky Pilot. Sky is a guy, well, let's just say he's a guy that a lot of people know. Chapter number 10. Oh, this is a good one. I'm, I'm not, I, can't, I can't even tell you this one. You got to read this one. Number 11, it's called Live from Capitol Records. And four of those uh, tracks, by the way, on the box set came from this recording at Capitol Records. And I have a great story about that night. 
And um, anyway, I'm going to stop at chapter 11 right now. And next time I'm going to come back and finish the chapters. And I'll answer more, more questions. I like that answer more questions thing. And then also I'm going to um, I'll tell you, well, here's what we got to do. We got to get through uh, October 3rd. And we're going to do the best we can. I'm going to try to be as, as many positive podcasts as I can about time because the date coming up October 3rd is going to be tough. But anyway, I think all of us can get through it. Anyway, stay well, everybody. Love you guys. John Scott here. Tom Petty and me is the name of my book. I'll see you later. You're a gone gator.